Luke chapter 19. Conflict between what I expect and what is reality. You have expectations. You have expectations every day. What happens when your expectation conflicts with the reality of what happens? How do you handle it when what you expect to happen doesn't happen? And in its place, the reality that happens is in conflict with the expectation that you desired to happen. In Luke chapter 19, we're looking at a conflict between a warrior king and a crucified king. Many who expect a warrior king to march into Jerusalem, to destroy the Roman armies, to establish the kingdom of God on earth from Jerusalem. That's their expectation. We've been studying the, the conflict between the expectation of the followers of Jesus Christ and the reality of what Jesus Christ was going to unfold. As we've been going through Luke chapter 19, we've seen that, that Jesus is troubled with the fact that after three years of teaching and preaching and ministering, they still don't get it. After all that he's told them about what was going to happen when they got to Jerusalem, they're still looking for a warrior king to conquer Rome and establish the kingdom of God on earth. And when the world erupts in praise and victory, Jesus breaks down and sobs. We call it the triumphant entry. I don't know why. Because the king on the donkey is sobbing on his coronation day. Listening to the accolades of his followers proclaim him as king. The invincible king weeps and sobs as he rides down the Mount of Olives, approaching the king of Jerusalem. When what you expect conflicts with reality, what do you do? When you think it's going to be one thing and it turns out to be something else, what do you do? When life throws you a curve and what we were looking for doesn't end up occurring, what happens? You know, when that is occurring in something that pertains to this world, maybe something at the office or something in this life, you can, you can, you can work that out. And you can overcome that great disappointment. But when it comes to God, 
then the conflict between what you expect and what God has planned can result in eternal situations and issues that are not recoverable. And so we're confronted with this momentous event when Jesus Christ rides into Jerusalem and the people hail Him as their King and He loses it and begins to sob uncontrollably by what He saw and what He heard. What do you do when expectation conflicts with reality? You see on your little handout that the bluff, the bottom line up front is this. You'd better understand what God has planned for your life. If your expectation for what you want in your life conflicts with God's plan, with what God plans for your life, that's irrecoverable. If you allow that to persist and go forward. When it comes to God's plan, we have to get it right. When it comes to God's intentions, we can't afford to expect something that God doesn't plan. For our lives individually, we've got to get it right. Now, a little bit of, uh, little bit of geography and history before... We see the power of Jesus Christ sobbing as he rides across the Kidron Valley. A little bit of a little bit of history, a little bit of geography to get us in place this morning. Jesus Christ, this is the land of Israel, of course. The Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea is right there. Jerusalem is right there. The Mediterranean Sea is right there. Jesus Christ, before most of his ministry, most of his three years, was spent up around the Sea of Galilee. We call it the Great Galilean Ministry. It's where he performed most of his miracles, healed most of the people that he healed, uh, calmed the waters on the Galilean, uh, on the Sea of Galilee. He proved day in and day out for, th- for all that time. He proved, I am God. I have control over the human body. I have control over the forces of nature. I have control over the demonic kingdom. I am God. He proved it day in and day out in his great Galilean ministry. He then began to work his way south toward Jerusalem. He told the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be put to death there. And so they begin to make their way down toward Jerusalem. He comes through Samaria and down into Judea. He, he then goes back over to Perea, goes over to Perea and ministers there for a while. Then he got word that his good friend Lazarus was sick, nigh unto death in Jerusalem. So Jesus hung around in Perea for a few days until Lazarus was good and dead. Then after Lazarus was good and dead, Jesus left Perea and he came to Jerusalem and raised Lazarus from the dead. That was four weeks ago. From our text, four weeks earlier than our text, after raising Lazarus from the dead, he went back, continued, finished up ministry in Perea, crossed the Jordan River, came to Jericho. And our last few messages have been the events around Jericho. 
and, uh, and how Jesus Christ saved Zacchaeus and then made the proclamation of what his purpose for coming to earth was all along. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. His great purpose statement made to the group around Zacchaeus after he had saved Zacchaeus. Jesus Christ announced to his followers and to the people gathered what his purpose for coming to earth was. And then we learned in verse number uh, 11, 10 and 11 of this of chapter 19, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And so in order to correct the misunderstanding of his followers, he told a parable, a story, and we studied that story. The story showed the conflict between what they expected and what Jesus was going to do. The conflict between the idea of a warrior king conquering Rome, establishing a kingdom, versus a crucified king who will die for the sins of mankind. Because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so Jesus Christ has announced his purpose and made very clear what it was all about. Well, he's getting ready now to leave, to go. You look in verse number... 28, and when he had thus spoken, that is the parable, when he had told the parable, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. Now, the, so he left Jericho, and this next screen will show us that he's going to head over to the west into this rugged Judean wilderness. That's the road there that Jesus traveled, by the way. And he is going to travel the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's going to ascend up to Jerusalem because there is quite an elevation difference. This next slide illustrates that elevation difference. This is the, ele- the, the level of the Mediterranean Sea, zero feet sea level. This is the level of the Dead Sea, minus 1,300 feet below sea level. Jericho is right at the Dead Sea. Jesus is going to leave Jericho and travel up to Jerusalem, a difference of about 3,400 feet in elevation in about a 17-mile walk. Jesus Christ is going to ascend up to Jerusalem. On his way, he's going to come to a city of Bethany. This next slide will show us that when you leave Jericho and you travel that 17 miles to get up to Jerusalem... You come to the city of Bethany. We know Bethany. That's where Lazarus lived. Four weeks earlier, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha, Lazarus' two sisters, lived there. Jesus Christ will come to Bethany. He will stop in Bethany. Luke does not record what some of the other gospel records record. But this was Friday. He left Jericho on Friday, most likely. The day before Sabbath, he traveled up to Bethany and then spent the night and Sabbath day with Lazarus, Mary, and, Beth, and, uh, and Martha in Bethany. And then on Sunday morning, Jesus Christ prepares to leave Bethany and to enter into Jerusalem. Now, as you leave Bethany to go to Jerusalem, the road you take takes you to a little small village called Bethpage. 
And Jesus Christ told his disciples to get a, a colt that's fastened there, bring it out. And so Jesus Christ is going to uh, get on that little colt and Jesus Christ is going to ride into Jerusalem. Now, when you came from Jericho up to Jerusalem, you're ascending that 3,400 feet in elevation up. The crest of that was the Mount of Olives. So everything on the east side of the Mount of Olives hid the city of Jerusalem. You couldn't see the city of Jerusalem. You couldn't see the city of Jerusalem until you came over the peak of the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus Christ and the crowd comes up through Bethpage. They get the colt. They get on the colt. They ride up to the crest of the Mount of Olives. And for the first time on this journey, they're able to look down into the Kidron Valley and over to the city of Jerusalem and to the temple platform. And so this is what we would see today if we went over there and stood on the Mount of Olives. I took this picture standing on the top of the Mount of Olives, looking down into the Kidron Valley and back up out of the Kidron Valley to the walled city of Jerusalem. Now, obviously, this wasn't like this in Jesus' day. This is what is there today. If you were to go and visit Israel, you would be looking. Notice the elevation difference from the Mount of Olives. You're not looking straight over into the wall, but rather you're looking down over the wall into the temple platform. When the disciples and followers of Jesus crested the Mount of Olives, they looked down into the city of Jerusalem and they looked down onto the temple platform where they could watch everything that was happening in the, on the temple platform. This next slide shows that after you leave the Mount of Olives to go to Jerusalem, you go down because you're going down into the Kidron Valley. This is our group walking down from the Mount of Olives, walking down towards, and that's the gates, the eastern gates, the golden gates. That's where Jesus will enter when he gets on the colt up to that point. You can see now we're not looking down at the severe angle, but we're looking more across as our group walks down the road that Jesus, uh, the path, the place where Jesus would have ridden as he went down. Now, Jesus would have ridden the colt down from the Mount of Olives. And as he did, he would have come to a place that is commemorated today if you were to go there and walk down that path, about halfway down the path to the bottom of the Kidron Valley, you would see a sign in a wall that says Dominus Flevit, which means God weeps. And they have provided a place where, where you could sit and you could relax as you think about Jesus Christ weeping and the, as the city is spread out before him. Here is our group and some others that are in that place that it is used to commemorate the weeping of Jesus, where you can, you can sit down and you can meditate and you can think about Jesus Christ weeping as he sobs entering Jerusalem, just across now from the eastern gates, coming closer to the bottom of the Kidron Valley. While we were there, the one that had planned the trip asked me if I would preach here. And so I had the opportunity to preach on this text on Jesus weeping from there at the place where often is commemorated the weeping of Jesus Christ in this quiet place. 
Let's go back to the map now on our next slide. And I want to, we'll just leave that up on the screen now. And I want you to follow the geography in your mind as we look at the story of Jesus Christ entering Jerusalem. Our text begins in verse number 29. And I want you to notice I put three little statements there on your little worksheet. By the way, the, the introduction is the bulk of the message this morning. Don't get worried. <clears throat> The sermon will be short. The introduction will be long. Look at verse number 29. I want you to see Jesus is God, Jesus is Messiah, and Jesus is opposed. Look at verse number 29 of our text. The Bible says it came to pass that as he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go ye into the village over against you. In the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereupon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And to any man, and if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners Thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. I say, Jesus is God. How else would Jesus have known what they would find in Bethphage? How's Jesus to know there's a colt there tied along with its mother on a, on a street outside a home in Bethphage? How else would Jesus know that when the disciples he sends to get him, that there's somebody's going to ask, the owner's going to ask, what are you guys doing? What are you taking my coat for? How did Jesus Christ know to tell his disciples that when they untie the colt and they're challenged for what they're doing, that if you'll just say, the Lord needs him, that the owners of the colt will say, hey, go ahead, take my colt. Jesus is God. Jesus knows everything. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows everything that's going to happen. Today, tomorrow, this week, next year. Jesus is God. What a what an a innocent little simple way for for the Word of God to declare the deity of Jesus Christ in this simple little story about a cult. I want you to notice not only is Jesus God, but Jesus is Messiah. Look at verse number 35. And they brought him, that colt, to Jesus. They cast their garments upon the colt and set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, he crested the Mount Mount of Olives began to go down. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Oh, there's a lot in that phrase. Some of these followers had traveled Galilee with him. They'd watched him raise, uh, heal the sick. They'd watched him still the storm. They'd watched him cast demons out of people's Lives and hearts and bodies. They, they'd watched him. They'd watched him raise the dead. They are convinced. 
on the basis of all that they saw. Never forget, Jesus did not perform miracles merely because he had compassion for sick folk. There was more to it than that. He performed every miracle to prove he could fulfill every Old Testament prophetic statement as to what the Messiah would create on earth in his kingdom. And they had watched him and they had listened to him. And after all that they had seen and all the mighty works that they had watched him perform, they are fully convinced he is the Messiah we've been praying for for generations to come here into Jerusalem. And so, with loud voice, verse 38, they say, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. They recognize Jesus is our Messiah. Oh, this is, this is an amazing moment. Luke, I'm sorry, Matthew and John both point out in their record of this moment that when Jesus crested the Mount of Olives riding that colt, both Matthew and John pointed out that he did so fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 where the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Both Matthew and John, when they say that Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem that day on that little colt, they said that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy. He is the Messiah. And the people know it. They're convinced of it. The Messiah has come to Jerusalem after all our prayers for generations. Oh, listen, you have to understand the explosion of excitement that's going on. This is the Passover season. This is six days before Passover. Historians have estimated on the basis of a of historical records written at the time that there were probably 250,000 Israeli people who have gathered in Jerusalem to prepare for Passover. A quarter of a million visitors to the city. I mean, there are tents everywhere. Everything that's green on that map the city of Jerusalem annexed all of the property to its east for Passover preparation. And the entire Kidron Valley and in the entire slope up to the Mount of Olives extending to Bethpage and Bethany is filled with a quarter of a million people that are here to prepare for Passover. One statement states that they trod one upon another. They were so thick, they stepped on each other's feet. People everywhere. Jesus' ministry of teaching and preaching and all the miracles He had performed for three years has built and created an expectation that we just read because of His mighty works that He had done. 
They were convinced he's the Messiah. And to top all that off, four weeks ago, right over there in Bethany, a dead man that had been dead long enough to stink was brought out of the grave and unwrapped and his flesh was whole and he was alive. Oh, for four weeks that has spread all over this region and beyond. So many people were traveling to Bethany just to see if you knew someone four weeks ago, two miles away from here, had been risen from the grave and it was verifiable. Wouldn't you go two miles down the road to see this living person? The Bible says everyone wanted to see Lazarus. So many people have believed on Jesus Christ because of Lazarus. That the chief religious leaders in Jerusalem were planning to kidnap Lazarus and kill him. Because of all of the people that began to follow Jesus as a result of Lazarus' resurrection. The religious leaders, are, are, are the Bible tells us, they were telling people in Jerusalem, because the talk of the town was, I wonder if Jesus will show up. Do you think Jesus will show up? Do you think He'll come to Passover this year? And as the word, the question, the, 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 uh, the talk of the town was whether Jesus will show up, the religious leaders began to spread word. If you see Him, come and tell us where He is. If anyone knows where He is, come and tell us where He is. The Bible says the reason they wanted to know is because they wanted to kill Him before Passover. They didn't want Jesus in Jerusalem at Passover. And so they were planning on how to find Him and to kill Him. Oh, the excitement is at a fever pitch. When, when word spreads that Jesus... Jesus spent the night last night in Bethany. Word has it that, that there's, a, there's, there's a procession coming from Bethany. And, and Jesus is in the group. And, he, and, he's, and he's, he's riding on a colt. All of a sudden, all of these people in Jerusalem that are talking about whether Jesus is going to come, they begin to flood to the east and the people camped out. They all begin to come up the road looking for Jesus Christ. At the same time, all the people from Bethany that were, that were traveling with Jesus, they're, they're, coming, they're coming down the road. And, and, and the crowd coming out to meet Him and the, and the crowd coming with Him. The Bible says the people were before Him and behind Him as this explosion of excitement. When they see Him with their eyes, they say, Hosanna! You know what the word Hosanna means? It means save us. Save us. But guess what? They weren't asking for eternal salvation. They thought the kingdom was going to be established today. Save us from Rome. Save us from Rome. And they're crying out, Hosanna, the Messiah, the Son of David. 
He's here. And the, the excitement, the fever pitch, the explosion that took place as all of these people converged together around Jesus on a colt, making his way down the Mount of Olives and across the Kidron Valley. And then we read in verse number 39, some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. They lost control. They lost total control of the people. The, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, this is Jerusalem. They're in charge. This is my turf, Jesus. We're the religious leaders. We're the guardians of the temple. People do what we say, but they lost all control of the masses. Frustrated, angry. They turn to Jesus and they say, Jesus, stop this blasphemy. Tell your disciples to quit it. Jesus Christ looks at them. And Jesus Christ said if they were to hold their peace, the stones would cry out. And then it happened. Jesus is riding down the slope of the Mount of Olives. The city of Jerusalem is spread out in front of him. He's looking down onto the temple platform. The people are saying, the Messiah is here. Save us. And then Jesus loses it. There are different words that are translated by the English word weep. This is the most severe emotional. When the Bible says Jesus wept, it was a different word than when he was at Lazarus' grave and he wept. There with Mary and Martha. This is a different word. This means he began to sob and heave and weep. And he, was, he had lost the sense of emotional control. He began to sob uncontrollably. Jesus began to sob over what was happening. Because they just didn't get it. Save us from Rome. Establish your kingdom. They just don't get it. They don't understand what I've planned all along. They don't understand my plan for their lives. They don't understand what this is all about. And I say again this morning, you can't afford... To not understand God's plan for your life. Why did Jesus sob? Why was it so emotional? What's the big deal? Okay, so they don't understand. Tomorrow you can get them all together and teach them. The... What was it that was so important to Jesus Christ? That he began to sob over the people's lack of understanding of his purpose. I want to suggest to you this morning that he sobbed 
because they didn't understand the cost of what God's plan is all about. They didn't understand the cost. What cost? Let me show you three things Jesus said that bears out that they didn't understand. The people didn't understand the cost. Look at verse 42. Verse 42 of our text. Verse 41 tells us that Jesus wept. Verse 42 saying, if thou hadst known. Let that be that that be the pointer that the Holy Spirit put in to alert you that the reason he's sobbing is because they don't get it. The reason he's sobbing is because they don't understand. If thou hadst known. Known what? What is it that they don't understand? What is it that they don't know? I would suggest to you that the first thing they don't understand is the cost of having peace with God. If thou hadst known even thou, at least in this thy day, this today, Palm Sunday of all days, day of all days, if you only understood the things which belong unto thy peace. Peace. It's a wonderful word, isn't it? Peace. Jesus was announced in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When the angel met with Mary, the angel told Mary that the one that she would carry in her womb and give birth to would be the one who would bring peace in the night of His birth. The angels that appeared to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem cried out, On earth, peace! Here in our text in Luke chapter 20 and verse 38, peace in heaven. Jesus always has been and always will be about peace. Peace. That's what Jesus Christ is all about. That's why Jesus Christ came. He came to establish peace. Jesus Christ is the answer to all conflict. Be it conflict between nations. Be it conflict between spouses. Be it conflict in the home or in the marketplace. Or most importantly, be it the conflict between a human being and his creator. Jesus always has been and always will be about peace. He is the answer to war. Jesus Christ is what peace is all about. Oh, Israel wanted a warrior king to bring peace. We we want a, a warrior king with a sword and a spear and a shield to conquer Rome and bring us peace. But they didn't understand. They didn't get it. He didn't come to bring that kind of peace at his first coming. <laughs> oh, but don't forget to read the book of Revelation. He's coming back. And when he comes next time, he'll have a sword. And he will bring peace militarily to this earth. But that's not why he came the first time. He came the first time 
to be a crucified king. Why? Colossians chapter 1, I put the reference down. It's well worth taking time to read to understand peace. The Bible says at that place, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus made peace, not peace between nations, not peace between quarreling human beings, not peace between people mad at each other. He came to bring peace between me and my Creator. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameably and unreprovable in His sight if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister." Jesus Christ, in verse number 10 of this chapter, announced his purpose. It wasn't military purpose. I came to seek and save the lost. I came to die on a cross because you as an individual are the enemy of your creator. Why are you the enemy of your creator? You're the enemy of your creator by your wicked works. That's what Colossians 1 just said that I read. You are the enemy of God because of your wicked works. And Jesus Christ came the first time to seek and to save those enemies that are lost in sin, separated from God, alienated from their Creator. How will He save them? How will He bring peace with God? Through the blood of His cross. He came to be a crucified King to seek and to save the lost and forgive them of their sin and make them His very own But they didn't understand. They didn't get it. Please understand. You will never have peace in this life or throughout eternity unless you grasp the reality that peace only comes through the awful crucifixion of Jesus Christ on a cross in Jerusalem. That's costly. What did it cost for me to have peace? With my Creator. They didn't understand the cost of peace. Peace is costly. It cost Jesus Christ his life. There's a second cost that they didn't understand. Verse number 43 states that upon the days Jesus Christ has just told them that you don't get it. He's sobbing, he's weeping between gasps of, 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 of being able to say something between sobs. Jesus Christ said, for the days shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench round about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not. I want to suggest to you this morning, the second cost that they didn't get is the cost of rejecting God. I say that you can have an expectation that is unfulfilled when it comes to piddly matters of this world, and you can... 
you can get by with not getting your expectation. But if you miss understanding the cost of rejecting God and you reject God's plan for your life, that's going to cost you for all eternity. Jesus saw these people didn't get the cost of rejecting His plan. And so He told them, those of you who are missing what this is all about, in 35 years, Jesus is on a donkey going down the the western slope of the Mount of Olives with the city of Jerusalem in front of him. But in his mind, he's seeing something else. In his mind, he's looking down the road to the cost of rejecting God. And he sees 35 years down the road. And you know what he sees? He sees that on the very spot where he is riding that donkey, the very spot where he's sobbing, He sees the mighty 10th legion of the Roman armies camped right there on the western slope of the Mount of Olives. He sees the Roman legions and and, and encampments surrounding the city of Jerusalem. He sees the barricades that they they have built up, the massive war towers that they're going to roll up to that wall. He watches... Jesus, looking 35 years down the road, He sees the starving people. He sees the Jewish people starving to death because they have been limited to that city. They've been surrounded by that Roman force. He watches thousands of Jews crucified All around the city. He watches the beloved city of Jerusalem destroyed by the massive Roman armies as they pull the walls down, as they flood into the city, as they desecrate the once glorious city of Jerusalem. And Jesus said, you just don't get it, do you? You just don't get it. You don't know the cost of rejecting me. Because when you reject my plan for your life, there's a payday that comes. And the payday is severe. Oh, the destruction is indescribable. Study the historical account of the Roman siege of the city of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. The horror, the murder, the maiming, the starving, the crucifixions. There's a cost to rejecting Jesus Christ. And he said, you just don't get it, do you? He's sobbing because they don't understand the cost of rejecting God's plan. Did you notice in verse number 44, he said that they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another? 
Do you remember that back in verse number 40, he said, if these hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. What stones is Jesus talking about? What does he mean? The stones are going to cry out. If these people don't proclaim that I am God and I am Messiah, if they hold their peace, the stones will cry out. And then he talked about how the stones would be pulled down from the massive walls around Jerusalem. Let's look at this last slide. If you were to go to Jerusalem today, you could stand there at those very same stones. For 2,000 years, those stones have lain there piled up, strewn around the ground. Those are the stones, still to this day, that the Roman armies pulled down when they destroyed Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ said, the stones will cry out. Do you understand that for 2,000 years those stones have been crying out? What do they say? If you could go to Jerusalem with me tonight and we could go up to, the, the, to that place just outside the wall of the, that's, that's the, just down from the, from the western wall where the Jewish people gather to pray. That's just back behind what you see on that. If, if you come down to this front corner and, and, and the, the south, the southwestern corner of the temple platform, all of those stones, if you put your ear down and if you listen to the stones, what are the stones shouting? What are the stones saying? The same thing they've said for 2,000 years. The stones are still crying out. What are the stones saying? The stones are saying, don't miss the plan of God for your life. Don't miss the cost of rejecting God's plan. Don't think you can do it your way and get by with it. Don't think you can ignore what Jesus says and make it work okay. Listen to the stones. They were pulled down in 70 A.D. Because the people of Israel didn't get it. They didn't understand the cost of peace. They didn't need a warrior king. They need a crucified king to pay the price for their eternal salvation. Don't miss the cost of rejecting God. The cost of rejecting God is too great. And then finally, the cost of missed opportunity. The last phrase of our text says, Thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. They didn't understand They had a short window of opportunity. When that window of opportunity is gone, it's gone. It's the time God was visiting them. It was the time of thy visitation. God was visiting Israel to die on the cross and offer them salvation from their sin. They were looking for something else. They didn't understand that God was visiting them with an opportunity that may not last forever. And if you miss the cost of opportunity, what is the cost of opportunity? 
the cost of missed opportunity is eternity without what could have been that God had planned. Oh, listen, dear friend. We call it the triumphant entry. I don't know why we call it the triumphant entry. The artists paint a smile on Jesus' face as he rides the donkey. I don't know why they paste a smile on his face while he rides the donkey into Jerusalem. He is sobbing uncontrollably, weeping because human beings just don't get it. The cost of peace. The cost of rejection. The cost of missed opportunity. Jesus is weeping uncontrollably because He loves me and He loves you. And more than anything, He left heaven so you and I could have everything that He planned for us. And when He sees we don't get it, He broke down and sobbed because He wants you to have everything that He planned for you.